And who brings heels on a road trip? What's wrong with wanting to look my best? For who? We're stranded in the middle of nowhere. You're just mad because when I wear my heels, I'm as tall as you are. Four hours. I waited four hours for you. And how many times do I have to say I'm sorry? And in reality, it was two hours till I realized you weren't in the car. My first clue should have been the lack of snoring. No, your first clue should have been no one screaming, quit texting and driving. Stay on the road, slow down! Well, if you hadn't taken a shortcut on the backside of the mountain, we wouldn't have had so much time to break down. I am so ready for this trip to be over. Finally, something we can agree on. Oh, uh, let's just ask somebody for help in this broken down shed over here. Fine, but let me do the talking. Why you? Because last time we paid $50 for a $5 fix. Besides, if you hadn't gotten us lost in the first place, we'd already be back in Hope. It's a stupid name for a town. Who names a town Hope, anyway? That snarky, sarcastic attitude is exactly why I should be the one doing the talking. This is small town USA. People would like to be treated with a little bit of kindness. Oh, and you're such a bowl of sunshine that everyone's just going to grovel at your feet and obey your every command. Well, everybody knows that between you and me, I'm the nicest, most gentle, least likely to scare people off! So yes, I should be the one to do the talking! Again, I ask why you... Excuse me. Uh, I couldn't help but overhear your uh, bellering. What seems to be the trouble? Our car... Are you the mechanic around here? <laughs> why, yes ma'am, I am. Town appointed grease monkey at your service. Now, uh, oh, pardon my manners. My name is, uh, Elroy. And I've been working on cars practically since the day I was born. Yes, ma'am. Matter of fact, my mama, instead of a rattle, put a ratchet in this hand, and I've been slinging oil ever since. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, what we need is... Now, I'm sorry, I did not hear your names. Oh, um, my name's Lauren, and... This is my husband, Alex. Well, mighty uh, uh, fun uh, to uh, you're hurting me. Oh, oh, uh. I am sorry. I've been uh, wrestling boars out back to keep up my agility. And it's done made me powerful strong. Okay. Uh, anyway, our car broke down about eight miles back. Oh, shoot. I am sorry to hear that. You, you mean to tell me y'all walked all the way from over yonder to over here? I'm not really sure where over yonder is, but yes. And what we really need well, is Well, what y'all need to do is sit down and take a load off. Come on over here. Have a seat. Okay. Now, I do expect you're both hungry enough to eat a whole barnyard full of animals. Except in the goats. I don't rightly know how to cook goat. Besides, last time I tried, I about got the stuffing kicked out of me. Something about being put in a hot roasting pan that critter did not appreciate. So you cook too? Shoot, I can cook, bake, roast, and fry grits ten different ways to sundown. Let me see here. There are my grit pancakes, my grit kebabs, though they do not hold their shape too well. There's my uh, grits and gravy and grit salad and, ooh, my favorite, roast crawdad and grits. Hey! Won me a prize for that one. Is that so? Uh-huh. 
God appointed town cook extraordinaire for all the town events and 109 blue ribbons to boot. Hey, let's go see him. Wait, no, 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 no. <clears throat> what we need, Elroy, is a radiator hose. Radiator hose? Well, that's the darndest thing anyone's ever asked me to cook. But, heck, I'm game for anything at least once. No, for the car that broke down. Oh, shoot. That does make more sense. Well, let me see what I got in the back that might be able to help y'all out. Yikes, that guy talks more than you do. What we need is to get that radiator hose, get back to the car, and then we can be back on the road to hope. <laughs> what is so funny? Oh, I just think it's funny we're trying to find our way to hope. There is nothing about this road trip that I find funny right oh, now. Oh, lighten up. <gasps> Are you calling me fat? What? <laughs> no. You are! You think I've gotten heavy? That's why you've been hiding the Twinkies. No, I hid the Twinkies because I paid $50 for them on eBay. I can't help it if I've gained weight! You haven't gained... Where's this even coming from? Like you're some kind of sad Mr. Receding hairline? Oh, oh yes. Oh, no, 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 hold it, hold it! I am waving the caution flag. <laughs> the two of you need to make a necessary pit stop. Now, my sensatorial feelers, they're telling me that the two of you are in dire need of some meritorial counseling. Well, today is your lucky day. I have been appointed the psychotherapeutic couple doctor for this here town. I believe the psycho part. So, why don't y'all just tell this here doc what's up? That's easy. He got us lost, ran us out of gas, and now we're stuck in this godforsaken town. Oh, wait a minute, little lady. I happen to know this place ain't godforsaken. Me? I am in direct communication with the big man beyond the clouds. And I happen to know he ain't gone nowheres. Matter of fact, he and me, we just had us a right nice chit-chat this morning over some fresh squeezed milk. What she's trying to say is that we were on our way to Hopeless USA. Were. Were is the key word there. Until somebody kept driving us around in circles, which overheated the car. <laughs> you ain't never watched NASCAR, have you? <laughs> driving in circles does not overheat a car. Ha, not my fault. And besides, I can't help it if there are no road signs to hope. Road sign? But you don't need to know road sign to find hope. You can find hope right here. You know, I find hope in the darndest of places. Once, I found hope in a mud puddle. On account of that mud puddle, it was cleaner than I was. And it made me the cleanest I'd been in months. I'm not talking about, oh, I'm losing patience. Boy, you've been losing lots of stuff, ain't you? What he's trying to say is we're trying to find hope. I ain't deaf. I heard you the first time. But you still ain't said what you're looking for hope for. Not what for. Where? It's a place. A town. Look, I've lost a lot of money on this trip. I've lost a lot of time. I'm this close to losing my mind. And you've lost that loving feeling, too. I give up! I know. That's why y'all are looking for hope. Boy, 
You need to track better. <laughs> oh, now it's funny? <laughs> I'm sorry. You're the one who's always telling me to lighten up. Oh, you should not say that to a little lady. <laughs> she might start thinking you's calling her fat, which I am not. Thank you, Elroy. Um, what he's trying to say is we're trying to find Hope, Indiana. That's where I'm from. We're moving back there. Well, I don't rightly know for sure, but I don't think any town's going to give y'all the hope you are looking for. Dude, you really need to... No, 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 wait. He's right. He is? I am. You are. I am. Uh, <laughs> just what exactly am I right about? Nothing he said makes any sense. See, that's the, more like the stuff I get. Well, you neither do you. Never mind. Never mind. It has been a long couple of days. We really just need that radiator hose. Oh, I plumb forgot all about that. Now, where did... Oh, here it is. I got it right here. Here you go. Elroy, this is a garden hose, not a radiator hose. Well, yeah, but this here's the magical converter sticky stuff. This here stuff has fixed everything I've ever had that's been busted. <laughs> Why, we even used to put it on Granny's teeth to hold them in, just so she could eat her fixings. Well, it might work. Are you kidding me? It's the right size. It'll get us farther down the road. Oh, fine. Whatever. Elroy, do you think you could give us a ride back to our car? Ooh, boy, I sure do wish I could, but trouble is, I got to meet 13 trucks out back. Not one of them runs. I thought you were the town-appointed mechanic. I am. Just ain't had no call to fix my own. Besides, I've been pretty busy fixing everybody else's, but uh, give me a week. I can have one up and running for you. We don't have a week. Is there anyone else in town that can give us a lift? No. Like I said, all our stuff's busted. Exactly how many people live here? Three. <laughs> me and Ma and Cooper. Who's Cooper? He's my basset hound. But uh, last time anybody asked him to drive, well, let's just say I kept telling him, don't drive mad, he wouldn't listen. Well, it has been an experience. Um, what do we owe you for the radiator hose? Ah, shoot, y'all don't owe me nothing. Just chatting with you is payment enough for me, seeing how I don't get too many visitors. But uh, I am not going to be rude, so wait right here, and I'll bring you back something for your long journey back. What was that earlier about him being right? I don't know. It just seems so simple for him. And we seem to just complicate everything. Hmm. What if this trip was a preview of things to come? What if we get there and nothing is different? We still have no money, we have no jobs, we have no home, no future? Then it really is hopeless Indiana. I thought this is what you wanted. Change, a new start. Things can't be worse than what we just came from. Well, here you go. Four deep fried in oil grit cakes for your long walk back. What kind of oil? Uh, thanks, Elroy. It's kind of you. Yeah, well, listen, I, I don't typically go sticking my nose where it ain't been invited. But I can't help but notice two of you ain't the happiest youngins I ever shook hands with. Like I said, it's been a long couple of days. Well, do you mind if I just share a little piece of my mind with y'all? Will there be anything left? Have you ever chewed on the fact that maybe your despairing feelings of hopelessness ain't on account of 
where you live or what's going on around you. Maybe, just maybe, it is the state of your heart and your mind that needs to move to hope. Those are the wisest words anyone has ever said to me. Ah, <laughs> shucks, ma'am. You should see the fortune cookie stuff I come up with on my time off. <laughs> well, Elroy, it has been a pleasure. Ooh, one more favor. Do you have a map we can use? No, but I do happen to know this here territory like I know every hair on the back of my hand. Come to think of it, I done named them all. Hey, want to meet them? No, no, no. Well, I am the town-appointed tourist guider extraordinaire. What, like I'd follow his directions anywhere? You don't think he can actually get us out of here, do you? So why don't you all tell me where it is you're wanting to get to, and I will give you the shortest route, guaranteed. Like I said, we're trying to find Hope Indiana. Well, why didn't you just say so in the first place? I know right where that's at. So you've been there? No. Truth is, I ain't been more than about 100 paces from this spot. Then how do you know how to get there? Well, the occasional lost folk like yourselves that come wandering through here. You know, you'd be amazed how much you can learn from a body if you just stop and listen. Yeah, I suppose you can. Now, y'all recall that busted up red barn about, oh, 12, 15 miles back over yonder? You mean the one we passed five times? Yeah, well, right next to that, there's this dirt road. Take that, it'll take you straight to a highway, and that highway will lead you straight into Hope, Indiana. Can't miss it. Thanks, Elroy, for everything. It's done been my pleasure, ma'am. I told you that was the road we needed to take. Oh, like I'm supposed to listen to you. No, you had to insist on doing things your way. Well, at least I didn't leave you stranded at some random rest stop for four hours. Would you just let it go? <sighs> well... I sure do hope they find the hope they've been hoping to find somewheres. How many have ever been lost before with your spouse or friend? One of the most frustrating experiences you can go through. In fact, some of the biggest fights my wife and I've had with this when she's got us lost somewhere. <laughs> Actually, the truth is, I'm uh, rather famous or infamous in my family for getting lost. It goes all the way back to when I was just a kid. Uh, I get lost uh, with my folks all the time. Got lost at a state fair once in the most traumatic experiences of my life. In fact, I got lost so many times as a kid that I started thinking my mom and dad were doing it on purpose. <laughs> I've been lost as a teenager. I uh, was a snowmobile in ninth grade with some buddies. And I, got, I broke down, I stopped running, and, and uh, they went off without me, didn't know I'd stopped. And I spent about 45 minutes trying to get my, my uh, snowmobile started, and I had no idea which direction they'd gone. It was snowing like crazy, and I couldn't even follow their trail, and I thought I was going to die out in those woods. I've got lost backpacking, not just once, but at least twice in my life. And the last time, I seriously thought I was, it was in the Cascades, I thought, I'm going to end up bear sushi out here somewhere. I was terrified. My worst experience getting lost, though, was when I was attempting to summit Mount Adams, and I used the word attempting because I didn't succeed. Uh, I was with some friends, and we'd been climbing for about seven hours, and I had rented some boots, never rent boots, rented boots with crampons, which helps you walk in the snow and the ice, and I got the huge blisters, about 50-cent piece-sized blisters on the back of both my feet, and every step was painful, and so I told my friends, guys, you go on, 
and I'm going to go back to the car. Now, lesson number one, never rent boots. Lesson number two, never get separated from your party when you're climbing. And uh, I knew it was going to take me a while to get down, so I said, guys, I'll be fine. I'll just follow the trail. I'll get back to the car. I'll see you there. Well, I got to a spot as I was descending, and uh, there was some Boy Scouts bivouac there. And I should have gone left. In fact, I went right. And I kid you not, I spent the next two hours lost on the backside of Mount Adams and, and ended up, uh, it, it, long story short, I'll make it short, ended up actually creating an avalanche, which I got caught in, and went about 100 yards down this mountain, and it was horrible. It was terrifying. I ended up at the bottom of the thing, and I'm stuck up the snow but right here. My gear's all behind me, and you know, I'm just thanking God that I'm alive, but I was exhausted. I was dehydrated, and I hadn't seen anybody for the better part of two hours, and I figured that they wouldn't find my bones until the spring thaw. Being lost is a horrible thing, and I remember feeling so hopeless. Now, the good news is somebody found me, and I'm alive today because of that. But you see, loss often leads to hopelessness. What I want you to just dial up for your, in your own emotions right now is that when we get lost in, in, in any level, in any way, it often leads to hopelessness. You lose your job. You've been working there for maybe decades. You're 50, 60 years old, and they've laid you off. They're downsizing. And what does that lead to? It leads to hopelessness. What am I going to do? You lose your marriage. Maybe you've been married for quite some time, and, and something went sideways, and you should have gone left, and you, you went right, and you ended up in a, in a horrible place, and there's hopelessness. You lose your health, and you fight fear, and again, hopelessness. You lose a friend, a parent, a child. And there's that sense of agony and hopelessness. And lots of us have had dreams that we've lost those dreams. And we battle with depression and we battle with hopelessness. Getting lost, feeling lost, not having a purpose or experiencing loss at just about any level can really be hard to deal with. In fact, even the little things that we lose can really bother us. How many of you have ever lost your keys or your cell phone before, huh? Remember the frustration, just the, the you, you, so, you feel so stupid, and, or you're, you're sure the kids walked off with it, and then of course you find it's in your pocket later, and, but you're, you're terrified at, at the, the, the reality that you might be losing your mind, and you can't find something as simple as your keys to your phone. And getting lost is a hard thing, and that's what I want you to understand. And the brief question I want us to consider today is how do you find your way back to hope when it seems that all hope is lost? When you're in that place, whatever that place is, and you're feeling pretty discouraged, pretty depressed, pretty down, pretty blue. Lots of questions, way more questions than answers. How do you find your way back to hope when it seems that all hope is lost? What can we do to find ourselves uh, in a place that we want to be in rather than on that road that we would not have chosen and in that emotional funk that seems overwhelming to us and leaves us hopeless? You know, for most of us, Easter morning is a morning of joy. Um, a lot of kids, I've ran into a bunch of them in the lobby, and they are amped on sugar. They've had lots of, of goodies. Now, they're excited about Easter, and a lot of, of wives, you know, the women are wearing their new outfit, and they're excited about wearing their new outfit on Easter. Uh, most of us guys, what we're thinking about is not clothes but food, and uh, we're excited about, you know, the mound of honey-baked ham and cheesy potatoes and, and crescent rolls just drowned in butter. Guess what I'm having for dinner? We're excited about Easter for a lot of different reasons, but as Christians, as Christ followers, we celebrate the resurrection. Easter is a day of joy and hope for those who follow Jesus. It is because we believe that he's alive and that it changed everything. It changed the course of history and it changed our lives. 
But what I want you to think about for just a moment is that first Easter Sunday morning. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of those that follow Jesus and they had watched him or heard about him being crucified. They'd gone through the Sabbath Saturday, depressed, discouraged, frustrated, terrified. And now it's Easter Sunday morning, and they are not excited. They're not doing an Easter egg hunt. They're not thinking about this you know, big meal they're going to have or the new outfit they're going to wear to the synagogue that day. None of that is happening. What they are is they're terrified. They're, de- they're terrified that they might be next, that the same guys who you know, arrested Jesus and crucified him might be coming after them. They're discouraged because all their hopes that they put in this guy they thought was the Messiah seems crushed and over. They're depressed because of the loss of their friend. And when we look back at Easter, we celebrate. They did not have that advantage that first Easter Sunday morning. And they didn't start that day celebrating at all because all the hopes they placed in this man, this man named Jesus, were crushed. Because as far as they were concerned, he was lying in a cold dark tomb somewhere gone forever. They had experienced great loss and they felt confused, afraid, and hopeless. And I want you to just put yourself in their shoes. That's how they felt. One of my favorite stories is found in Luke chapter 24. And it's about a couple of disciples of Jesus. Not two of the twelve, but a couple of guys and people that that loved him. And they're, they're on their way to a village, a small village called Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. And I want to pick it up in Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, meaning Easter Sunday morning. They didn't call it Easter then, but it was that Sunday morning. Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now some, by the way, a little interesting insight. Some think historically that it might have been, historians think it might have been a a husband and a wife, actually, and that that they were on their way home to, to Emmaus. Verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Somehow, God had just put blinders on them, and they didn't get who this was that just joined them. Verse 17, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. They stopped dead in their tracks, and they were feeling hopeless and downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And you've got to imagine, they said that with tears in their eyes and hopelessness in their voice. Our rulers, the guys that we're supposed to follow, took the one that we believed was the Messiah, and they killed him. Verse 21 says, but we had hoped, there it is again, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. Skip down to verse 25. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ, the Messiah, have to suffer these things to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going to go, fur- go further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So Jesus went in and, to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, I love this picture, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. And then it says their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Somehow in that moment, as Jesus was breaking bread, 
their eyes opened. They realized who it was. And in that instant, I mean, boom, he, he disappeared. He was gone. And they looked at each other and they said, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked with him on the road? And he opened the scriptures to us. And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. It's late in the day, early evening. They didn't care. Seven-mile journey walking was going to be at least an hour and a half, two hours if they booked it. So they returned and found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord is risen. I love this story because it shows us how to find hope in the midst of our discouragement, how to find hope in the midst of something that's pretty hopeless. And the answer is right here. It's pretty simple, but it's, it was so profound. It will change everything in your life. How do you find hope in the middle of a hopeless situation? You have a God encounter that redirects your beliefs and radically alters the course of your life. How do we find hope? Well, we're in that situation we would not have chosen. We don't want to be there, and it seems hopeless. We have a God encounter that redirects our beliefs and radically alters the course of our life. Now, some of you are like, yeah, that makes sense. I get it. Some of you, maybe you're investing in Christianity and statements like that really kick you off. They man, I hate it when you Christians use phrases like God encounter, whatever, dude. I don't even know what that means. What are you talking about? I have a God encounter. I don't even know if I believe in God. And you're, you wonder, when does that happen? Where does that happen? Why would it be necessary? And I want to unpack just a few things about a God encounter that if you understand it, it may change your life forever. To have a God encounter means that you have a, a time and place. You come to a time and place where God invades your life. It's where God intersects your experience. It is a moment or moments, but it, it is a time and place where suddenly God is invading your life. And he's doing so with his presence and with his love. You sense, you feel, you know that he's there. And there's something drawing you to, to, to something bigger than yourself, to someone bigger than yourself. And it is the love of God. And it is in that moment of revelation that you have the potential to have a complete change of your life. It changes the trajectory of your life. And a moment of revelation that, it, that alters the course of everything. Now it can happen in lots of different ways. What does a God encounter look like? Well, it could be on the level of the miraculous. Uh, I can give you some examples from, from the Bible. Uh, Abraham had an encounter with the, the angel of the Lord that was miraculous and changed the course of his life. Moses had an encounter with a burning bush. Anybody watched the Charlton Heston version of the Ten Commandments last night? It was on. Yeah, I've seen it about a thousand times, and I, I still love it. But remember the burning bush encounter that Moses had, and that was a God encounter. It could be something where, like Saul, later named Paul, uh, renamed Paul, had a God encounter. He's on uh, another road, and God knocks him on his butt and, and says, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And from that moment on, everything changed in that man's life. It could be something as quiet as an understanding where you come to a moment in your heart where you realize, I can't keep going the direction I'm going. I can't keep doing what I'm doing. I need help. I need God. I need a Savior. That moment of understanding and revelation is a God encounter. A God encounter matters because it's in those moments that we truly do have a revelation. We see something that we've never seen before, and we know something that we've never known before. Now, again, I realize if you've not experienced that yet, you're going, I don't get it. What does that look like? Many of us have. There's like this light that goes on, this moment in our life where we realize that God is real, that we need him, and that we are going to make a decision that will change everything. God encounters that moment of clarity 
maybe in the midst of darkness and confusion, where hope begins to be poured into our hearts again. And how does that God encounter happen? Well, for some of us, it's already begun. Some of you have already begun experiencing that presence of God, that love of God in your life. You haven't recognized him yet. You're like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And you haven't figured it out. You haven't seen yet. Your eyes have not been opened yet to the fact that Jesus has been right with you every step along the way. You've got way more questions than answers. I know, been there. You struggle with a lot of things you don't understand. I understand. And you're confused and frustrated, and maybe you're feeling pretty hopeless. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is right there in the midst of your life, in the midst of your pain. And he is making himself known to you. And just like those two experienced on the road to Emmaus, there's this growing, burning in your heart. You, you maybe have not been able to explain it or put words to it. And, and that phrase, burning in your heart, you think, yeah, I guess that, I, I thought it was acid indigestion. But maybe that is. Maybe there is something going on. And there's a sense in, in your soul that you know that God is there. You might not be able to explain it, but you already sense the presence of someone bigger in your life and someone who loves you. And some of you are very close to that moment of revelation. You've been investigating Christianity for a while. Maybe you've picked up a Bible and you've been reading through the Bible, just saying, God, if you're for real, you've got to show me what's going on here. Maybe you've talked to friends. Maybe you've got a friend or family member, and they, they, they've been telling you a little bit about Jesus, or maybe they haven't said anything, but you've been watching their life, and you've been watching the imprint, imprint of God on their life, and you're, you're, you're this close to a moment of revelation. And God, the Holy Spirit's been working you. That's what he does. By his Spirit, he works on our hearts to draw us to that place where we say yes to him. Some of us, and I've been there, for us, a God encounter happens when we least expect it and when we're running from him. We're not looking for God. We're not seeking for answers. We have pretty much said, forget God. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And, and we're running as fast as we can down on a completely different road. But like Saul, who later became Paul, we have this moment where God just, boom. And, and I know, because I've been there years ago, once upon a time in my early 20s, I was far from God. In fact, I was angry, bitter, I hated God, didn't want anything to do with God or the church, and I was, I was messed up. But a friend of mine, a guy named Steve, kept reaching out to me. And Steve was a Christ follower. And Steve loved me unconditionally. And Steve just kept loving on me, kept loving on me. And no matter what I'd say, no matter how abusive I tried to be toward him, because I didn't like Christians either. No matter what I said to this guy, he kept loving me. And I'd draw a circle to keep him out, and he'd draw a bigger circle to wrap me in. And it frustrated me. I was angry at times. Would you just give up on me? And yet he wouldn't. And one night, it's about 10 o'clock at night, I get a phone call. And he says, Kurt, yeah. He says, can we get together? I'm thinking he meant for lunch the next day. Yeah, sure, whatever. He says, no, I want to get together right now. And I'm thinking, no way. To be real honest with you, that night I'd spent several hours at a bar. I was pretty inebriated. I was not ready to drive anywhere. was glad I got home. And he says, I, no, I, Steve, he said, I know, just meet me down the street. I lived about three blocks from a Bob's Big Boy. Anybody ever been to a Bob's Big Boy? I don't even think they exist anymore. But I, I, I went to this, you know, it's, this place in Sunland, California, and I met Steve there. We sat in the back booth of that restaurant. And it was in that booth that I had a God encounter that changed my life. He spoke the truth and love to me. 
And he brought me to this point, realization. God, through him, spoke into my soul and said, Kurt, you're at a fork on the road. And I knew I was. And I could keep going down the road I was going on, and I just knew in my knower that I'd probably end up dead. How I knew that, I don't know. I just, I just know that the stuff I was into, the direction I was going, the things I was doing, the stupid things I was engaged in, that I probably would have been dead by the time I was 30. And he looked me in the eye and says, Kurt, you're at that fork on the road. And you can choose to go the path you're on. And I knew that meant not good. I'd probably end up dead. Or you can choose the road to hope. That night, I chose hope. That night, I said yes to God. And here's the thing I want you to understand about Easter today. The good news of Easter is that because Jesus defeated death, there's nothing too big or too dark for him to overcome in your life. I thought I was so messed up so far, so there's no way God wanted me. But one of the great reasons why we Christ followers love Easter is because it is a declaration. It is a bold declaration that if Jesus can beat death, there's nothing. Listen to me. There's nothing too big or too hard, or too dark for him. Oh, you don't know what I've done. I don't, but God does, and it's, he's bigger than that. You don't know how, uh, yet I know uh, there's a lot of questions, but God is bigger than those questions. You know, I, I have no idea. I know, I've been there. I understand the frustration and the anger and all the emotions that you have. But the good news of Easter is that God is bigger. Jesus beat death. He beat the ultimate enemy. And if he can beat death, there's nothing too big for him to overcome in your life and mine. Even if you've lost hope and you've lost your way, hope is yours for the taking. That's what I want you to hear today. You come to that fork in the road, and some of you are there right now. Some of you have been there, and, and God keeps bringing you back to that fork. Some of us are going to be there in the near future. And I'm telling you, God brings us to that point where he says, choose. Choose me. Choose the road to hope. And hope is ours for the taking. One of my favorite passages is in Romans 15. And here's the prayer I want to read to you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. This is Paul's prayer for the church in Rome. This is my prayer for you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And here's the key phrase, as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's heart for you, his desire for you, is to know the hope that comes from walking in relationship with him, but from surrendering your life to him, from trusting in him. The road to hope starts and ends right here today for some of you. And the question I have for you is, what road will you choose? What path will you choose? Bow your heads and let me pray for you. Father, thank you for sending Jesus for us. Thank you for sending him to die for our sin. And Lord, I'm, I'm so grateful that it didn't end there with just a cross, but an empty tomb. And we celebrate Easter, God, as the ultimate declaration and celebration that the power of God is bigger than anything we might face in our lives. Jesus, you beat death. That means you can overcome anything in us, anything we're facing. And we are never truly then without hope because if we turn to you, we can find everything we need and the hope of our Savior. Maybe you're here today. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment. You've not yet started that walk down the road to hope as a Christ follower, as a disciple of Jesus. And you know it's time. And this Easter of 2013 is the moment for you 
of revelation. I need God. I need his forgiveness. I need his grace. I want to give my life to him. And if that's you, whether you're sitting in this room or watching online later or listening on the radio, I want to encourage you in this moment, make the choice. Choose like I did. Choose hope. Choose to say yes to God. Choose to embrace the gift of his grace that he offers to you. And I'm going to pray this very simple prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out. But I'm going to pray this simple prayer. And the words are important. But what's most important is that you own those words. That you say, yes, God, that's me. That in your heart, you're saying, yes, Lord, that's what I want. And if you're ready, then I'm going to ask you to just make my prayer your prayer right now. Father, forgive me. For I need you. I need a Savior. I've gone my own way. I've done my own thing. I've gone down my own road. And today, I am returning to the road of hope. I'm, I'm coming to you. I'm choosing to surrender my life to you. My past, my present, my future, all that I am, all that I've done, I surrender to you, God. And I ask you right now, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my heart and life. Give me everything I need to become that follower of yours that you know you want me to be now that I choose to be in you. Now if that's your heart and you want to just surrender just say yes God, that's me. I say yes to you. The Bible says the moment you do you cross the line from darkness into hope into faith in him. Lord for those making that decision right here, right now. Or for those that will make it later, Jesus show them the power of the decision they've made today to radically alter the course of their life because of your love, because of your hope. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last celebrative song. I love this song, and it's interactive. You get to be a part of it. Uh, we're going to give. This is a point in our regular services where we take our offering. If you're a guest today, please don't feel obligated to give. But if this is your church home, let's give to support what God's doing. But let's give as we worship, and I'll come back and wrap it up. Thank you, guys. Hey, a couple of things before you go. One, if you began your life today as a Christ follower, tell somebody. Let them know. They're going to celebrate with you this Easter. Let me know. We want to walk with you in this journey. And on the tables, by the doors, as you leave, there's a white emphasis for new believers, and it's got a Bible, and some material gets you starting to walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. Secondly, if you'd like communion, it's available on both sides of the room today to take with your family or by yourself. Please feel free to do that. And the last thing I want to say is, guys, thank you for being, make, being here and making Easter awesome for us. God bless you, and thanks for coming today.